Hello everyone and welcome to the Future of Work podcast series. My name is Ellen Wong from the Easy University Business School and your host for the show. Hello, it's Mark here from the Career Centre. The theme of this episode today is to continue the conversation about hybrid working and we'll focus on some of the academic debates around this issue and changes to work practices. As we all know, this is one of the topical subjects post-pandemic and hybrid working not only impacts people that's already in work, but also for our graduates who are seeking for jobs as well. So joining me and Mark today, we have invited Chris Ford again, who's a professor of employment studies at Leeds University Business School and Deputy Director of ESRC Digital Futures at Work Research Centre. The centre involving almost over 70 researchers at Leeds University um, and Sussex and others in examining the future of work and the role of technology in the workplace. Chris has research interest around the future of work with interest in gig work, hybrid working, as well as in areas of HRM. So welcome, Chris. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show once again. Thanks very much. It's nice to be here again. Great. So there are a lot of interest in these topics, um, you know, due to pandemic, as, as you've um, said before. And there have been significant changes on the way um, to the way that many people work. So let me start by um, having a conversation and, and, and presenting some data conducted by Cisco um, based on my research. So it says that work will never be the same again. 50% um, in, in fact, 57% expects to be in the office 10 days or less each month. 77% of employees will embrace a flexible working style and then 97% want changes to be made for the office to be safer before they feel comfortable to return. So my question to you, Chris, uh, is are these data similar to your research findings as well? And if so, what do you make out of that? Thanks, Alan. I think it's really interesting. Um, those survey findings and the sort of headlines from them uh, make really interesting reading. Uh, this idea that work will never be the same again, I think is worth picking up on. Um, we can. The pandemic has obviously led to quite profound shifts in what a lot of organisations are doing. Um, but there's always been debate about the future of work and changes in work so when we think about this um, we, we also need to think about the the continuities that there are in the the nature of the employment relationship to put it to put it like that as well as uh, aspects of change so um, yes there's been changes over a much longer period about um, you know the length of time that people spend with a single employer for example the types of jobs that they're doing and um, the sort of occupations that they're working in um, so if we take a much longer sweep and think about not just the pandemic, um, we can locate some of the more recent interesting debates around flexible working, hybrid working uh, within a longer term perspective. And that will give us a, a more nuanced view, I think, about um, how profound these changes are, how significant they are and whether they're here uh, to stay. Now, if we do pick up on the pandemic, though. I mean, obviously, the, 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 this hasn't led to really significant changes for a lot of organisations and employees. Um, and also, I think, for perceptions of organisations and um, workers, uh, current workers and potential future workers about what is possible and what they expect uh, from a job as well. Uh, so that data that you've presented really talks to that, I think, that clearly amongst some groups of um, workers and uh, potential workers there may be an appetite for uh, for change um, but I think there's also then questions about what's the responsibilities of employers here how 
have prepared our employers for these sort of changes. If, if, if indeed uh, workers want changes and expect more uh, capacity to be able to work remotely uh, or to have flexible working, are employers ready for this? Or are they ready to step up and um, uh, implement changes to allow employees to, to work in this way? And also just recognising some of the challenges of that as well, that, that perhaps there's some groups that uh, don't want that change. Um, perhaps some uh, workers are concerned about those changes, fearful about what it means for them, um, and may need some support and uh, training to allow them to do that if that's what they want to do. So there's a lot to unpack here. I think there's some really, the pandemic has obviously brought this into really sharp focus, mm-hmm. and, and there's been, been accelerated change in a lot of these areas, um, but it does raise a lot of really important issues about the, the future of work. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for for that, Chris. I think it's a really interesting topic, isn't it? And, you know, we said here we're going to talk about a lot of the academic debate in this episode. But, yeah, to make that link to our graduates, you know, what impacts does that make um, for our graduates, especially looking for for jobs? Um, So I'm just going to add another question, I guess, and then I'm going to pass it on to uh, Mark to, to, you know, to to take it over, so to speak. so there is a lot of reason interest, obviously, you know, the hybrid working, working from home, virtual teams, all of this uh, terminology uh, because of the pandemic. Um, but all of these ideas and all have a long history in organizations. And there's a lot of research on these areas already. Um, so what can we learn from these early researchers on these topics then, please, um, before I pass it on to Mark? Thanks. Yes, you're right. Um, virtual teams is a really good example. Um, there's, a, there's a literature going back 30, 40 years around this, uh, looking at socio-technical systems, how, how teams work together, uh, particularly where teams are operating on a, um, a global basis or internationally. Um, so my colleague at, at Digit, Petros Kamikiotis, uh, points out in a recent blog, um, we, can, we can learn a lot from these debates. Uh, before the pandemic, we thought about virtual teams they all had many of the features that we see with uh, teams that have occurred during the, the pandemic. You've got a mediation of a technology to allow people to work and collaborate together, mm-hmm. and you've got some geographical dispersion. Now, often when we talked about virtual teams, historically that was uh, global dispersion. You had these teams working um, far apart, often in um, different time zones. Um, so organisations really face there with the challenge of trying to create a social context or manufacture some sort of social context to um, get people to work together effectively in an environment where workers aren't physically co-present whilst trying to maintain some kind of work-life balance for people who are um, working on these technologies in different time zones. All those, I think, have been important during the pandemic as well. Um, But you've got these new challenges, I think, with pandemic-related hybrid working as well. Because most of the teams that were formed during the pandemic of uh, the virtual teams had some prior experience of working together. They were they were they were in offices and factories uh, before uh, the pandemic and lockdown. So they already had that sort of social context, the shared identity, which which sometimes might make working together virtually when they're forced to do that um, easier. But many groups were sort of forced together virtually by um, by default i think during the pandemic and that Definitely. did i think create a lot of challenges i mean i'm yeah i'm a personal uh, experience of that myself uh, so having to really skill up and acquire some um, some uh, some new capacity and, and skills very quickly um acquire the equipment you need to uh, undertake um virtual working 
Um, alongside the other pressures that came with the pandemic, um, an intensification of work in many cases, and having to juggle a range of other things, concern about the, the pandemic and often domestic responsibilities and, and childcare as well. So I think we can learn a lot from the old literature around virtual teams, for example, about what makes these teams work effectively. How can we uh, manufacture this uh, environment to, um, and culture of, of working remotely? Um, but I think the pandemic did raise some some new um, issues which had, had just not been seen before. As Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Now, thank you for sharing that. I think it's interesting, isn't it? And, and, and as you say, the pandemic and all the hybrid working and the virtual teams, they already presented enough challenges for people that's already at work. So I'm really interested to hear, Mark, um, from you that, you know, how what does that mean for our graduates? Because they've a lot of them, they've had limited experience within the workplace or some of them might even you know very fresh um, you know on the ground zero to start so i guess i'm going to pass it on to you um in you know in terms of what do you make out of this um academic debate and you know based on what we talked about already and what do you think that's going to make a link to the students and how they can prepare for for the future okay thanks Ellen. um okay chris so i think um we talked before the, the podcast. Obviously, I do a lot of work one to one with the, with the students, a lot of workshops, as you do, obviously as well. Um, and there's a lot of anxiety around the sort of you know the, the way that work sort of reacted to the lockdown. Um, and I was just wondering from the, the research you mentioned about some, you know groups of workers have an appetite for change, but it was noticeable very early on, especially in lockdown, how the sort of the students and the graduates didn't really want this. There was no chance to learn sort of through social outings. Uh, this felt quite isolated because of meetings and people having to put lots of meetings in. And I just wondered if through your own research, if you've noted that and whether there is a sort of, you know, disparity between the sort of generations in terms of this. Yes, I think I think that's a really important point. Um, students were faced with, you know, as with workers are very rapidly changing situation um, and this move to online teaching um, whilst it was a necessity I think during the start of lockdown did create a lot of challenges I think for students and if you think about students going into the the workplace I, I, that doesn't surprise me um, what you said about um, them, them being anxious about about that and that's picked up in um, in research that's been done uh, so a study by uh, Nicola Thomas at the Institute for Student Employers um, uh, did a survey of uh, employers and um, was asking them about how they were trying to respond to this and, and what they were picking up in terms of new new starters to their organisations. Um, students, many students had not had the chance to gain workplace experience through placements, uh, for example. So some of the skills that they might have acquired through internships or face-to-face -face placements uh, simply hadn't occurred and uh, Nicola Thomas argues that employers really need to start thinking about that and there's a responsibility on them to um, think about how they adapt what they're looking for from uh, graduates and new entrants into the workplace. Um, she argues that there is, uh, what she has seen is more of an emphasis upon soft skills uh, from uh, those who are looking to take on graduates critical thinking, self-motivation, creativity, all these things which can signal a capacity to learn and acquire new skills in the workplace. Uh, she argues also that employers are increasingly realistic, I think, about what students might not have been able to acquire um, in terms of some technical or workplace-based skills uh, during the pandemic. For me, I do think, uh, particularly 
looking from a human resource perspective, there is this huge responsibility on organisations to think through how graduates and new starters are mentored um, and, and what sort of opportunities they have to be mentored and advised by senior colleagues when they join uh, organisations. Yes, employers might be focusing more on uh, skills like positive thinking, adaptability uh, and resilience, but that's also got to be backed up, I think, with um, uh, tangible, hard um, uh, factors that, uh, and resources that when graduates join an organisation, they can uh, they can they can quickly benefit from and, and acquire some of the skills that they've that they've not done. I think this connects to human resources more generally as well, and thinking about um, not just someone joining an organisation, but how they progress uh, through an organisation as well. Um, how do they um, how are they inducted within an organisation? How do they, you know they they, they they may not have and they may still not have chance if they join in twenty twenty two to be fully physically uh, based within an organization so organizations need to think about how they adapt their um, you know their induction their meeting and greeting systems their training facilities to ensure that graduates aren't disadvantaged I think when they when they do go into the organization do you think that do you think there's scope they're talking about inductions and the mentoring do you think there's scope there for almost like reverse mentoring because in order to be able to do that you'd have to listen to the graduates coming in anyway so rather than thinking Okay, and you know traditionally you've got an induction. Can you meet this person? Can you talk about that person? And maybe it's best to say, well, actually, how have you felt the last two years? What 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 are you expecting from us, and how can we sort of tailor that? Because obviously, no one has lived through a pandemic, and that includes the employers, and they are still learning. That's not a criticism. We're all still learning. But do you think there's scope for that as well? Do you think have you have you noticed maybe employers being open to that? Or? Um, not directly, <laughs> but I think it's a really interesting idea, and I think um, I think there'd be a lot of scope for that and a lot of uh, benefit from that, as you say. Um, this is something from the employer side and the potential worker side that is uh, unprecedented to use that uh, to use that term. Uh, but it is something I think that organisations and um, recruiters and those designing training systems and managing graduates can uh, can learn from by uh, adopting that uh, reverse uh, reverse mentoring. I think also um, it may it it may lead to some kind of shift I think in the in the psychological contract um, at work as well so thinking longer term some of these things you know there, there are there are formal contractual responsibilities that an employer has towards an employee well perhaps this is signaling some kind of longer or will herald some kind of longer shift in the psychological contract whereby the views of those joining organizations need to be taken uh, more carefully uh, into account. Um, what what do they expect from an employer um, in terms of whether they want to work away from the office, uh, in the office? What what technologies and capacities are there within an organisation to allow them to do that? And what are the limits on organisations in doing that? I think organisations and workers, if they can be honest about that and open about that, um, about what they what they really want, perhaps that 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 could forge a a new psychological contract. Now, of course, that's easy to say, but much more difficult to implement in practice. Organisations have their um, recruiting requirements and the skills and competencies they're looking for. Um, workers have their needs and preferences for what they want to do, but bringing those together um, and having an open conversation about it um, may, be, may be more of a challenge. But I think perhaps, perhaps there is potential here, given that organisations are... Um, in many cases, 
quite profoundly considering how 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 they're going to work going forward. Maybe there is this opportunity to have a more of a two way dialogue over it um, and find out what what it is that new starters really want from um, from from the workplace. And that may vary from one sector, one type of organisation to another, and groups of uh, graduates and workers as well. I know you've done some work on the gig economy. Um, obviously, technology and, and the increase in technology has, has affected the work that's gone on over COVID and would have done anyway. It's just accelerated what's happened. Do you think that will affect the gig economy? Do you think that a job for life will come back? So, we, you know, everyone says, but there's no such thing as a job for life anymore because of technology. But do you think because of technology, people will stay in the same jobs? They just have to upskill and reskill, but they'll be in the same sort of job rather than maybe the sort of freelance or, or work. I think it may be a mixture of both, and that's not to try and uh, dodge the question. But I think it is. There is. There is. There is a couple of. There's a couple of dynamics going on there. So I think. Um, I think that all the evidence suggests that people will move jobs uh, more um, now than they, they 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 would have done twenty or thirty years ago. So I think the average number of job moves during a career is is up to now uh, eight or nine over someone's career, um, and in many cases that involves moving to a different organisation as well, not just simply moving within an organization um yes there are some people who, who do still have a job for life and um there are some sectors i think where that progression and um and an opportunity to progress within an organization is still there um but i think job movement is 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 more common uh, than than it has been um the type of jobs that people do may uh, may remain fairly similar um so it may be that people are constructing more of a portfolio of, of a career but um, are essentially based within the same sector. And some of the structures within the gig economy that are emerging may facilitate that uh, to happen. So, you know, you have got platforms, uh, apps and technologies which are increasingly sort of mediating or, or stepping in between an employer and the, and, and the worker and creating that sort of new space almost. Now, in some cases, those platforms... Um, are acting as employers and they, they, they are taking on some of the responsibilities associated with a, what you might see as a traditional employment relationship. In other cases, they're not. They're really just a, a broker almost. They're just, they're, they're just um, uh, bringing employers and, and, and uh, workers or uh, clients and workers uh, together and, and taking a, a sort of cut of the, the spoils uh, to do that. But that sort of infrastructure does create um, opportunities, I think, from the worker side as well to, to construct um, a career within a particular sector in some cases and to use those sort of apps and technologies to, to allow them to do that. Um, as I say, there's some evidence uh, in some sectors that um, some of these apps and platforms are, uh, are acting as employers. There have been some recent cases uh, recently and, and, and some court judgments where I think... Um, it's it's been they've been designated as a as an employer, so that's an area to watch definitely. I think where there, there may be more movement in 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 that area over time. A little bit of a lowbrow question. I apologise for this. How <laughs> helpful was Alan Sugar's comment that these people working from home are lazy gits? Yeah, that, I, I, not very helpful at all. <laughs> I think, um, and I think he's not the only example of that though as well. So there's been. Um, other high-profile cases, G- Jacob Rees-Mogg's mm. going around offices and placing notes on people's desks, um, almost passively aggressively suggesting that it was he was sorry to miss them this time, but hopefully you'll see them in the office in the very near future. Uh, and beneath that, there is this this there's this assumption I think that um, you know people who are working from home are, are, are somehow not as productive as as people who are in the office, or that they're more likely to. Um, 
to take time off from work. Um, even Boris Johnson, there was a quote from him the other day saying that he spent, you know, he was too distracted when he worked from home. Um, he'd go to the fridge and cut off a lump of cheese and, and spend some time making a coffee. And I think those examples are, you know, they're, they're, they're you could you can dismiss them as sort of one-off examples, but they're from high-profile um, business people, policy makers, and they do have a, uh, they do, they do affect the way that people think about it. Um, the evidence on this is, uh, you know, there's, there's again looking at the long run of evidence around working from home. Um, it's quite a nuanced picture. It's, it's not straightforward to say that people are more productive uh, or less productive at home. There's a lot of things that go into that. Um, and there's a lot of rationales and reasons why people might want to work from home or need to work from home, um, for example, to manage other responsibilities that they've got, um, that they, they can't physically get into into an office, as well as uh, a sort of unconstrained choice of, of, of working from home. Um but for many people who do commute to uh, to an office or factory location, there's that time of travel, which when they're not directly um, uh, working, uh, there's the, the time back again, there's the expense of doing that. All those things need to be factored in, I think, to um, to this equation. I think, you know, I mean, the, 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 I, I think the comments by Alan Sugar can be dismissed quite easily. I don't think there's that there's much evidence out there that people are lazy when they work from home. I think most of the evidence on this, uh, the qualitative evidence when people are interviewed and they do their time diaries as well of what they uh, do at home, uh, suggests actually they, they tend to work more intense, intensively when they're at home. They tend to start earlier uh, in the day. Um, they tend to have more time where they would see them, they would classify themselves that they're being uh, productive. Um, and actually many employers benefit considerably, I think, from um, from the time that people do spend uh, when, they're at work, when they're physically at home compared to you know, when they're in the office. Against that, you've got to then think about the, the, the other benefits that come from uh, being in uh, an office uh, or a, a physical location, um, from meeting colleagues, interacting, the more informal conversations that you have. And it's difficult to replicate some of those on a Zoom call or you know, a Teams environment. You don't have those sort of informal conversations. It's not as easy to, um, to set up a meeting with somebody and just, just have a discussion about things um, uh, for a few minutes. The final point I say on that is as well is this is uh, Alan Sugar's comments, uh, Jacob Reese Mogg's comments. They're quite um, they're quite simplistic, I think, in the way that they categorise jobs as well. Not all jobs can be done working at home or, or in the office. So for many people who've been um, working in a physical location during the pandemic, um, you think of frontline retail workers, people in hospitals people in uh, factories making essential goods and services, they have no choice over that really. I think they'd find it really quite um, offensive to be to have a note sort of uh, from someone saying, um, you know, it'd be nice to see you in the office or uh, or, or not. I think it's sort of, the, 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 many people have not had that choice at all about where they work during the pandemic. Um, so as always, I think it's a more complex picture. Um, I think there are debates to be had about the benefits and costs of, um, remote working versus uh, working face to face, but I think also uh, it's it's getting beyond those um, those viewpoints that one is necessarily better than the other. There, there may be uh, a more granular view to be had, which is just that, that 
it varies according to different groups, different sectors, um, and that may also change over time as well. Yes, at the moment there may be considerable scope for hybrid working. Um, perhaps that will change again in a, a few years' time, and organisations and individuals need to will need to think about what's best for them in those circumstances. Great, thank you. Right, I can see Ellen looking at her watch, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll ask one last <laughs> one instead. <laughs> um, so, in terms of the student, in terms of the students and our students and graduates, how do you feel they could they could sort of best prepare themselves for this new sort of world of work? I, I think um, picking up on a point that we talked about earlier, uh, I think thinking about the skills that they have acquired during the pandemic is important, and um, and not 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 downplaying the, 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 the things that I have mentioned, the soft skills um, around things like um, resilience, adaptability, uh, etc. And also thinking about the technical skills that they may have acquired uh, during uh, remote learning um, as well. So the ability to interact um, with technologies like Zoom and Teams. These are things, many of them, which, I mean, actually for the younger generation, perhaps they were more au fait with some of these even before the pandemic. Um, but for myself, having never used Teams uh, until March uh, 2020, um, I'd like to think now that I'm, I've, I've got some expertise around it. I think uh, going forward, there will be a need for those kind of skills and expertise. So I think that's, first of all, is, is thinking about and uh, articulating as well as as you can the skills that you have acquired during uh, during the pandemic. I also think about this this psychological contract. I think again returning to that, I think that's a really important important point to pick up on. Um, if if you're applying for a, a, a job and a role in an organisation, I think finding out about what they're doing and what opportunities they have around hybrid working and the expectations around that is a a really important conversation uh, to have and I think any um, credible or reasonable employer should be open to um, having those conversations and being able to provide answers about what their approach is you know what is their strategy around hybrid working and and what's what's informed that how has it been developed um, what are the implications for some of the other areas that we've talked about you know what training opportunities would you have as a a graduate going into that organisation, will you have the chance to be mentored by others and to input your views uh, to, to senior colleagues about what your perceptions are on things? So this signals, I think, um, something about the culture of the organisations that you might be thinking about uh, going into, but I think is also a really important um, aspect of the application process of applying, you know, when you're thinking about an organisation, what, what are they doing around this area and what can I ask them around it to understand um, more about it? I think that's a valuable, uh, valuable conversation to have. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and very much echoes what I say to the students, you know, in terms of rather than look at the negative side of the study, which I, I get that, you know, it's not a Christ comment, but to look at the positive side, because as we said, you know, the companies haven't been, you know, they weren't used to this yeah. and they've had to learn along with the companies and that should be input into an interview or an application. So they have learned quite a bit. A bit. I think you're right. And some of them, have, some of them are still, some employers, are, many employers are still finding their way with this. I think they are. Um, and some employers are more honest and open about that mm. than others. Mm. Um, it's not a, 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 a fait accompli and, and, and there's very much a work in progress. A lot of, uh, the things that they're doing around remote work and hybrid work and returning to the office. Um, 
So I think a, an employer that is open and, um, and, and able to discuss that with uh, potential workers, uh, I think they can be a really valuable conversation to have, um, as you say, to focus more on the positive aspects of it and, and what opportunities um, and constraints there might be going forward. Brilliant. Ellen, you're like Alex Ferguson used to be on the touchline. Look at <laughs> your watch. <laughs> It's Fergie time. I looked at once and you picked up on that. I'm, I'm a little bit conscious now. Um, well, thank you so much for, for that. I think that was really interesting. I, I'm just going to ask one last question to, to you both, I suppose. Um, what are the key takeaways before we you know, finalise today's episode? From your perspective, Chris, uh, you know, on the academic debate, what is it the key takeaways to, to you know, take from, um, from this episode? And also, Mark, from your perspective as well. From my perspective, I think uh, just thinking about the positive and negative uh, aspects of this for organisations and, and workers and getting beyond the, the sort of headlines um, that there are around this to really think about what the challenges are around hybrid working and from um, a, a graduate or applicant's uh, perspective, um, what's, what is this organisation likely to be doing in the future that I'm thinking of, of joining? As I said, many organisations are still feeling their way with this maybe struggling to keep up with the pace of change or not sure how to respond um, and I think that's one of the key takeaways to, to think about the surveys the academic research provides us with some headline figures around this but as always the devil is in uh, in the detail uh, I think we can learn a lot from earlier research into some of these issues but the pandemic's also undoubtedly accelerated change for many firms and workers so uh, this is a familiar message from me uh, from the previous podcast. It's, it's, it's about trying to emphasise that we we want to need a nuanced understanding of some of the implications of these change and the change that's occurring. While it might seem very rapid at the moment, um, if we place it in more longer term perspective, we can learn something from the previous research uh, that, that's gone on whilst recognising the imperatives of the, uh, the, the pandemic has, has caused as well. Sure. Great. Thank you, Mark. I think for me, it's about reflection. It always is. So, you know, careers work is very much about reflection. And as Chris said, articulating to employers what you've learned. And I think, you know, looking back over those the two years that we've had of remote working and remote learning, you know, whilst it hasn't been easy, you know, and it's been very difficult and it's not been great in terms of mental health. You know, when you reflect on it, you know, all the students, graduates have been very agile. You know, they've adjusted really well. You know, we do evolve. We've always evolved. Jobs evolve. Society evolves. How we, you know, I always use the analogy of music in my workshops with students. You know, I've, you know, I've gone from I am old, you know, tapes and vinyl to the shuffle to the CD to a laser disc to, back to vinyl. So, you know, and you have to adjust. You, if you want to listen to music, that's how you do it, and that's sure. what work is going to be like as well. So, I think you know, you reflect on all the good things that you've learned and how, how agile you've been. You make sure you articulate that to employers. And also you're curious. You've got to keep your eye on the ball. Things are changing constantly. And curiosity is one of the things in higher education that's really important. Um, you want to be curious. You want to ask questions. You want to be engaged because these are future leaders as well. They're going you know, to change the, the future landscape. So that's really important as well. Absolutely. Well, it's a process of learning, reflection and curiosity. There you have it, everyone. So that's all we've got time for for this episode. And for the next one, we'll start a brand new topic on the future of skills, which we'll be looking at some of the changing trends on the skills required by the employers and how our graduates can prepare for these changes. So stay tuned for the next episode. As always, please subscribe to our 
episode series if you're interested in finding out more about this topic. You're also welcome to get in touch with us by either sending us an email or book online appointments via the Career Centre. Our contact details available in the episode below. Lastly, I shall leave you with a quote. Success in hybrid working environments requires employers to move beyond viewing remote or hybrid working environments as a temporary or short-term strategy and to treat it as a real opportunity. Until next time, take care.